probably one of the hardest things for a founder to edit and kill over time, which is this person's presenting me a bunch of nice to have feedback, all that kind of stuff. But you have this intuitive sense that it hasn't really crossed the line into need to have and really want to have. And you're just like, no, like this isn't good enough. And explaining why is really hard. What is up, you sexy bastards? It's your boy, Weatherman, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to a very good, longtime internet buddy, Brian Balfour, who is now the CEO and founder of Reforge.com. I met Brian when I was working at Facebook, and he has gone on to do some super impressive and really interesting things in his career, and he's just been a really great friend. He was the head of growth at HubSpot. Yes, HubSpot, I think they're worth like $30 billion. He started multiple VC-backed companies. He is very well known for internet marketing, I don't know about growth hacking, but you know, stuff like that, and has grown brands to millions of daily active users. Today, he's the founder of Reforge.com. From nothing, they have a $30 million a year AR business. And they raised, I don't know if it's public, but a lot of money from Andreessen Horowitz, one of the best VC firms on earth. They've also launched a brand new tool over at Reforge.com called Artifacts. And I've been using this personally. This is not sponsored or anything. I just really love Brian and I love what they've built and are innovating. You can basically see documents from other companies. So if you've ever been curious like how AppSumo runs things, they have documents from us. If you're curious how things at Notion or Slack are run, they got stuff like that too. It's basically like GitHub for startup businesses. So go check it out at reforge.com. In this conversation, if you've ever wanted to learn about how to do business growth and other really fun things between two marketers and longtime friends, you're going to love this episode. Here's three gigantic things. Number one, why being a CEO is actually not as awesome as people make it seem. Two, what Brian does to make every new business launch epic. This was actually really good. Three, the exact strategies Brian uses to scale companies in a big way. Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch of our ear nuggets along the way. Sometimes when I make these intros, I feel like I annoy myself. I'm like, do people actually listen to this shit? If you do, I, I just love you. I'm trying to be funny. I want you to smile. And you're like, oh God, there's no again. It's like, yeah, that's me. Before we dive into the show, two things. One, I have a book launch coming. If you are interested in being a part of our launch team, what does that mean? It means you get behind the scenes of how we're doing all of our book marketing, which is pretty interesting. Two, you get the audio and digital versions for free. And three, you get to interact with me, which may or may not be a good thing. All you have to do is email book at okdork.com that says you're interested in the launch team. And that's how you get started. Number two, if you want to launch your own business, but you don't have any ideas, you're tired of all the things that have failed, you need a little support, you need a hug, I got you. We have a course, Monthly 1K. It's $20. It might be more by the time you're hearing this. But if you're interested in getting your business started, if you want the exact strategies I've used to grow my own businesses and you want a little bit of a community, I got you. You can get started at okdork.com slash monthly1k. That's okdork.com slash monthly1k. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Raheem Sarkar. He left a review saying, my new favorite podcast, Noah, you have overtaken amazing business podcasts from NPR to become my new favorite Raheem, I'm putting a poster of you up in my office. Send me a photo. I love you, man. You're great. And I love every other one of you gorgeous listeners. If you want to shout out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. I check every single one of them. I want you to highlight rapid style fire every job or business that you've been a part of or started. Because I think there's a shit ton more to how we got here today. And me and you have been doing this together 20 years I think it's always inspiring for people to realize when they see someone they know that's at a level, they're like, oh, wow, I know that person. They don't know all the stuff below the water. Yeah. So first real business I started was B&T Leaf and Lawn Service in high school. I lived in the Midwest. 
in an old neighborhood, bunch of big trees, raking leaves every fall. Sucked ass. <laughs> and then one of my friend's dad's got this machine that looks just like basically a giant vacuum for your yard that sucks up all the leaves. And I was like, ooh, there's like a business there. So my friend and I went out and bought one of those machines, passed out a bunch of flyers, charged like 100 bucks. It was actually pretty decent. I think we made 9K that fall. Like for high school, like that's like pretty, pretty good money. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Then it was a college-specific social network called Party Campus before Facebook. Then it was Fanly, which was a sports-specific social network. Then from there, I worked a little bit at Zoom Info for a year, product manager, like many years ago. Viximo was the social gaming platform that went through a few different lives and phases. Then Boundless Learning, which was like free take on college textbooks. And then after that, there was essentially three businesses that I started that didn't go anywhere. One was called OnTap. It was ads for your home screen of your phone. Terrible freaking idea. There was actually three companies started around that. They all got bought. The second started this with Aaron White called Batolf and Briar, which was a subscription full service for your home where they'd come to your laundry, like everything for your home. None of them worked out. So then I went to HubSpot as a VP of growth. The products there were the sales hub and the CRM were the two main ones that I helped start and get going. And then after that was Reforge. Do you have a folder of all your old ideas? Uh, no. You don't? I have this folder of all these old ideas that I explored and stuff. It's sometimes fun to go back and look at those. Do you have one you could give to the audience if they want to do it or they should not do it? They're all played out at this point because I haven't revisited that folder in 10 years pre-HubSpot. That was like the last time I was like generating new ideas. But there was like all sorts of stuff in there. There was like this thing I think we call contract Sherpa, which was like this would play in the AI world, which is you basically take all of your legal stuff for your business and it would scan and pull out all of the necessary elements of it. A lot of contracts are like, you got to do X by date, renewal by Y, like all that kind of stuff. And then it would turn all those things into like workflow and notifications automatically. I'm sure there's something out there with AI around that. Dude, I got a contract. I'm renting a boat for me and my parents for, I don't know, just to take them out on a boat, leave them out there. And they sent me like a seven page contract. And I was like, God damn it. I don't know how to read this stuff. And I'm really bad at that. I'm like, okay, what's the price? That's fine. And it's definitely screwed me over the years. I wish there was a thing I could like, give the contract and it's like, here's the five areas and it just calls them out. And it's like a normal person English. Yeah, I'm pretty sure something like ChatGPT will just let you upload a file. And Oh, that's cool. Like, where can I get screwed in this contract? <laughs> yeah, I think it'll just summarize the contract and then let you ask questions. I think cases like that, my guess is that doesn't happen too often. Right, so it's like low frequency. So a specialized consumer tool probably doesn't emerge around that. But I imagine like the horizontal tools like ChatGPT end up solving those kind of use cases for you. It might be possible already. For everyone who doesn't know, Reforge is in one or two sentences. What is Reforge? Okay, Reforge has been professional education courses that have been built and led by like top tier operators. Think your VPC level execs from all the like fast growing companies. Can you share any numbers publicly about Reforge? Yeah, like last year, we did 33 million. In recurring? Yeah, we have over 20,000 members, something like that. 
$33 million in subscriptions last year, 20,000 members. And he says it like the most depressed person I've ever had that's rich. Brian, I'm not saying rich because I know there's VCs and blah, 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 and there's costs. Dan from Dynamite Circle and Tropical MBA, I love these guys. His two questions were, number one, how do you retain these people? I think a lot of people are building a lot of types of businesses, whether small or big, to retain. And then how did you scale to that number while retaining the quality? I think the reality is you don't retain. It depends, right? I think there's two use cases. There's individual use cases and there's B2B use cases. The individual use cases perform like a typical consumer subscription business, which don't retain super well. And then the B2B businesses, those things retain much better, but they don't end up being your top tier SaaS type of retention. And I think that's part of the challenge with these businesses. The rule is that actually these membership businesses look much more like consumer subscription businesses. And in the, they're why they're tough businesses to build. Have you tried anything that has worked or that has not worked on retaining? The way we went to membership was a mistake. And we're undoing a decent amount of it at this point. What do you mean by that? Okay, so a little history here. So for the first four years of Reforge, we were purely transactional. What we're becoming is much more of a professional network and marketplace. It sounds super interesting. So step one, you guys were basically transactions. It was courses and meetups and cohorts. What was the first version, second version, now third version? So the beginning, first four years, company bootstrapped. We sold these individual courses. We're very premium product in the marketplace. It was like 3500 bucks per course. We only tackled like very frontier topics or were frontier at the time. And then we hit 10 million in revenue, very profitable business. We had this choice of what are we going to do with the business? Are we going to keep it bootstrapped or are we going to try to scale it? And we felt like there was a scale opportunity. We were thinking about what would we need to do that. Part of it was that one of our hypotheses was transitioning it to a membership model. We raised some venture capital. We made that switch to the membership model. 2020, 2021, we're like up and to the right. The membership went from zero to 33 million in two years. And yeah, it was bonkers. And part of that was that we were drafting off of our initial audience from the first four years, but it released almost this pent up demand that people who couldn't buy the $3,500 in individual courses. Everything was growing great. And then 2022 hit in the tech economy. And we are in a category that is essentially hardest hit, which was most of our company's tech companies, L&D budget line item. L&D means learning and development. Yeah, learning and development. And some of the categories we had gone into, like marketing, were some of the hardest hit functions. And so 2022 was like a pretty rough year for us and grew a little bit. But obviously, those headwinds affected us. And then we started taking some like big bets that we always wanted to take around these things, which we've started to land this year with our marketplace and artifacts. And we're already starting to see growth reignite from those initiatives. But yeah, retention of these businesses is really freaking hard. And it was our biggest mistake is that we transitioned to the membership model. It unleashed all of this growth, top of funnel growth, which consumed all of our limited resources. We were only 20 people at the time, maybe less. And it was just growing substantially. That pulled all of our attention and energy away from focusing on the next thing that we needed to land, which was a more frequent habit of engagement. Because people would engage in these courses in very episodic ways. That's just like the natural 
use case. And it basically, I think we ended up pulling the trigger on that move too early. We didn't know it was going to unleash growth like that. But as a result, we weren't set up as a company to basically land the next couple pieces that we needed to do to maintain that. And so like as the economy hit, we started to hit some churn problems. And now like we've unwound a lot of stuff to fix a lot of those holes and continue to grow. Share a little bit more about that. How are you addressing the churn problem? I think that's a common thing in a lot of businesses that people aren't coming back. And then what are the two bets and how do they fit into the business? Yeah, we have a lot of bets. The bets that we've released so far is one is we leaned much heavier into the company use case. So we have all this bottoms up expansion inside companies, but we never had a product built for teams and companies. We didn't have pricing plans for it. We didn't have a go-to-market motion for it. And so that was one of the first things that we started to land to get to more like durable revenue retention. So that started to work. And then the second thing that we unleashed was the marketplace because what we had trouble doing in our old model was part of the way to keep people engaged is always have fresh new topics, things going on, being able to adapt to all the new things like AI. And in our old model, that was really hard because we built it all, created all the things in-house and the timeline on that was extremely long. So we landed that piece. And then we just recently landed this artifacts piece, which is honestly came from seven years of hitting our head against the wall of this feedback we would hear from customers at the end of the courses, which was like, I love courses and I was able to apply this one thing, but having a little bit trouble applying these other things. And Artifacts is about if you want to build a product strategy, don't take a product strategy course as your starting point. Go look at a dozen other real product strategies from like other people around it as like a starting point and inspiration. Then get sucked in to the deeper elements of a course and learning the theory and all those types of things behind it. So that's brand new as of this week and, and we're still figuring that out. But our bet is that it's a more frequent behavior than taking a course. We all love to say that we'll always be learning, but the reality is that's not true for 99% of folks. And then what are your early indicators or what are you looking at to see if this is working? I think in all of our businesses, we have core problems and you got to solve the core's problem. But we think it's a lot of times a new business or a new thing like artifacts, which is not really similar to what Reforge traditionally has done. I think choosing those things is actually... In a scale business, one of the hardest things to do, right? So every business has natural limitations to it. In our business, we will never have the net dollar retention of a Zoom, for example, which is like 140% NDR. That's just not the nature of how users use the product. I think it's very easy to chase those things versus focus on the core problems that are inherent to your business model. Horizontal products like Loom, for example, they're always going to struggle with activation because all horizontal products struggle with activation. But the flip side of that is that they have a lot of strong virality. And so there's these natural pros and cons of every business and figuring out which ones to focus on are tough. That is true. Okay, so you guys have launched a marketplace and you've launched artifacts and then you've launched more team product to get people basically more engaged and then more actively using it. Is that the general concept? Pretty much Artifacts is a free product. It's top of funnel, has a lot of growth loops built into it. And the idea is like you go from Artifacts to engaging in the marketplace and then your team buys. 
but that's the flow. And what is the marketplace functionality at a high level? Marketplace, what we used to do is run twice a year these six-week-long courses. They would only happen twice a year. They were all like six weeks long. The marketplace, it's a managed marketplace, so we vet all of the creators in it. But they're coming in and they're essentially creating things that happen more frequently. They're not all six weeks. Some of them are like three days. They're more specialized topics, those types of things. And so there's just a much larger breadth of things to engage with. It's more topics that you can choose from selectively outside of the subscription? It'll all be included in the subscription at some point, but yes. Do you think there's a, a time in the future you're going to look back and be like, hey, we should just focus on the core elite learning? Because you guys have elite teachers. So there's an alternative world here where we never took the venture money. The best path for the profitable business would have been small set of courses that have a very elite nature to them and very high priced and as a result have like great gross margins. The problem with that is that business probably tops out 20, 30 million max, right? Because you're inherently constrained by a couple things. I was creating all of the courses, right? And I was uniquely positioned to do that because of my functional experience, my network, and I had the content creation skills from some former things. That's not like you can scale a team around those like pieces. But it would also have been inherently constrained by to build the elite brand, you have basically can only accept a small percentage of folks into those courses. That growth is constrained by that as well. Now, Harvard Business School has solved this problem over the course of 150 years, <laughs> which is that they keep their MBA as a they only accept a few percentage of folks, which kind of creates the brand and the assets and stuff. And then what a lot of people don't know is that they go sell that content and that brand in a bunch of different ways. Uh, they have this thing, I think it's called Manage Mentor or something. It's basically a product. That, it's like all the PDFs from their course materials. They sell it to Fortune 500 companies. Product does like 100 million a year. They do 120 million in revenue on HBS cases that they sell to other MBA schools. So they're monetizing that brand in a bunch of different ways, but it also took them 150 years to get there. So that's like the other part of it. I guess the part I was curious, you had a core business that's working, which was you found literally the best in the world and you created a course around them. It's like masterclass, but you actually learned something specifically around tech-related work and it was working. And then now you're trying other areas. And I think this is super common. I've done it at AppSumo. Do you think there's a case to say just double down on the learning part? No, I don't think it's a venture scalable business. But as a non-venture scale, it could have worked? Oh, 100%. It was working. The venture piece was like a personal thing. I had and have still a bunch of ways to use the learning business to build even something bigger. That's my personal ambition. And that's why we took the venture money. That's why we put the company on that path. But once you put the company on that path, like you got to follow through. It's a one-way door. There is no going back. And so... Those are like a lot of the pieces that we're landing today, which is to continue to scale the business and build more valuable things to our customers, right? We're doing a lot of things to increase top of funnel, additional ways to monetize. But I think that just as the course business, that wouldn't have scaled to the level or on the timeline that venture requires. I want to ask if you regret taking venture capital. I've never really done it. I've taken a few little angel 
things I've been a part of, but I guess I've, I wanted more of the control. I didn't want to have to do anything I didn't want to do. I think I have a grass is greener problem, as many people do, which is like whatever I'm doing, the other thing always looks a little bit better, right? But once you get over to the other lawn, you see all the poop hiding in the grass, right? It's one of those things that I think because of the last year and the way that the tech market has played out and stuff, had we kept it a bootstrap business, maybe this past year would have felt better. But the ultimate question will be like, wherever the end of this is, if we continue scaling Reforge, I don't think I'll regret it in the end. It's hard to answer that question in the moment because I think the answer is so colored by what is happening in the moment. And the reality is either path is super hard to build. It's just a matter of what hard do you want to choose? You specifically were like, look, I want more control. I don't want to report to a board, which is great. But you've taken on other hard elements I'm sure, like part of the business. So, like if the business goes out, it's all my money's gone. <laughs> right? It's different when it's like, hey, we have people we can get money from potentially. And it's not necessarily all my money, it's my livelihood. And it's the livelihood of all the people that work at AppSumo too. So I don't take that for granted either. And I'm sure you don't. I'm curious, man. Being a CEO is, is tough. I'm curious, what is the wisdom you have for people earlier in their stages of wanting to become a CEO? It is, I think both the founder and the CEO thing get glorified a bit. I think it's actually a pretty shit job. As the company scales, you just spend a greater and greater percentage of your time on the problems and things that nobody else can or wants to solve. And I think that's why like the common advice of you better be pretty connected and determined to the quote-unquote mission of the business. Otherwise, you're just not going to want to take that stuff on. And I see a lot of founders do it. Ultimately, at the end of the day, where I get my most energy is making. I don't know. Where do you get most of your energy? Same. Yesterday was like my perfect day. It was like meeting with the head of growth at AppSumo. Then we met with the BD team and marketing to do more joint deal-led marketing stuff. And then we had a marketing leaders meeting to just talk about brainstorming for my book launch and other marketing. I'm like, at the end of the day, I was like, this is the best day I've ever had at AppSumo. Yeah, like a big part of me is just like, all I want to do is make cool shit <laughs> with cool people. You're in charge. Yeah. How have you set it up so that you can focus most of your time on that? Because our companies are about the same size. Same size, same experiences. And one of the things I love about Brian, and I got to give a plug for Artifacts. So you can check it out at reforge.com. Brian's board meeting notes are phenomenal. They've inspired how we <laughs> run our board meetings. We do have a board meeting. And you can see them on Artifacts. Yeah, I posted my board meeting notes. Go to reforge.com and check them out. It's been a challenge I have. I was working with the business coach, Dan Putt from Reboot.io. And he basically was like, do an energy calendar audit on Monday morning with Anna, who's our chief of staff at AppSumo. Shout out Anna, she's phenomenal. I was just going through the calendar and there's some meetings that I was like, Anna, do I have to do these meetings? <laughs> and she's like, aren't you the CEO and founder? I'm like, I know, but do I have to do it? And she's like, you decide. And I was like, I don't want to do it. Okay, let's just do it async or do a voice memo. I don't think there's much being added by me or by them. I went through the whole calendar literally every time and she's like, what are your priorities? Block down your calendar. And I was like, oh, wow, this week has been really good. And I do this weekly review, so I'm going to do it 30 minutes. It's basically just like three questions. It's like, how was your week? One through five. Were you consistent? One through five. And then what are my top three things next week? And having that has led to weeks getting more focused on higher energy activities and higher, like, frankly, productive that I think I'm better equipped for. In other areas, I'm just like, they were talking about some stuff about filming and how to film. And I was like, I don't know, dude. I, I don't care. Let me get out of this meeting. But you've probably also surrounded yourself a team that probably takes care of the people problems and all the things that crop up. I think it's also a trust thing, which I didn't really do well on. 
you hire people and you're supposed to trust them. And then it's like, well, no, I want to have a decision in that. You're not ever going to get out of it if you don't trust these people. And if you don't trust them, you need to hire the right person or you need to work with them to make sure that you have the same alignment on how they make decisions and let them make those decisions. But yeah, I wasn't doing a lot of people in HR. I was looking at every single credit card transaction up until a few months ago. Whoa. Because one, I I just enjoy it. (laughs) I just really enjoy it. We literally have a guy, he's the head of VP of finance. He's very skilled, very well paid. and He's good. I've talked to him before. He's great. Yeah. I was really professional. His name's Kevin. And I was like, we have a budget. We have a grid on a budget. Why am I worrying about the nickels if not the budget? And so was, we're learning and we're growing. But I, I think it is trying to back off in these other areas. But yeah, dude, I'll tell you twice this year, I was like, I'm going to quit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what were those moments? Moments where I'm in a lot of meetings and I'm exhausted at the end of the day. One was in like January and one was in June. In January, just like I'm in a lot of meetings. I was living here in Barcelona with Mafe and I was just like 11 p.m. I'm like, this is not how I want to spend my life. And then in June, our revenue is down pretty dramatically, or May. And I like basically just like really shit on someone in a meeting. I was really rude to them. And I was like, I'm not cut out for this. And a lot of these times it's, okay, is this actually like terminal? Is this like a, a serious thing? Or is it just like a temporary thing? And can you solve it? And I think more problems are solvable than we realize. And so it's just going back, changing the meetings, changing my attitude, and realizing that having conflict and problems is part of the whole process of life and being okay working through that. I was voice memoing my former relationship coach, Stephanie Rigg, shout out on Instagram. I said to her, which was surprising, I was like, I have really good conflict with Mafe. It's still early and I'm very optimistic on relationship, but we have really good conflict. They're not dramatic. They're not like fiery. They're just like, hey, let's work through this. I'm disappointed. Let's talk about it. And I like that. And so I think the same with the business stuff. We're like January, May, like those situations have led to better calendaring, better behavior, better process. Papa John's, better pizza. It kind of goes back to your question, right? Like that moment. If you weren't the founder or CEO, to my comment about that role being glorified a little bit, if you weren't that, it's just, oh, cool, I'm going to go find another job. But when you are founder CEO, like you tend to not have that option. It's literally grind through it or shut the business down, sell the business, like whatever the options are on the table. It's a very different set of options. Your option space is just not as wide. That's, I think, one of the cons. So what do you recommend for newer CEOs that are, are just going going out there? Any kind of business as a founder CEO? How do you know that people actually want it? How do you know you have a product market fit, I guess, is the most common term? How did you know you had that with the first product with Reforge and then the subscription? And then how do you know if you're having it with these other pieces? Because I think as founders, we're trying to create stuff that people really love, people really want. I think it was actually Peter Reinhardt from Segment, I feel like has the best piece out there on this, which is he describes the feeling of it, which is that the users and the customers start pulling the product out of you. And it's one of those things that's like hard to know until you go through it. But that is what I felt with the first version of Reforge, which was people love this thing. And they were literally piling me on with suggestions of what to do next, like what course to do next, what topic, what to add to the format, all this kind of stuff. To a point where I was like, holy shit, we're never going to be able to like keep up with this. And that's what we started experiencing with Artifacts as well. And this most recent one. And we tried a lot of things in between those two points that definitely did not have those same feelings. And I actually think if you've built an org and you have a bunch of PMs and all that kind of stuff who have never gone through that zero to one phase and felt it and experienced it, that's where you can get into trouble where... It's like they can interpret nice to have qualitative feedback to 
make it feel like you've got that pull. And I think that's actually one of the hardest things for a founder to edit and kill over time, which is this person's presenting me a bunch of nice to have feedback, all that kind of stuff. But you have this intuitive sense that it hasn't really crossed the line into need to have and really want to have. And you're just like, no, like this isn't good enough. And explaining why is really hard. I was thinking a few days ago, I was with a five-year-old and I was babysitting him. And I said, how was school today? He's like, I got to play all day. And I was like, dude, that's cool. I want to do that. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, how do we have more of that overall in our work where we're playing? Like, I think you've enjoyed educating your parents or I think our teachers. You've liked building tech. You've liked marketing. You've liked product. That's what Reforge is. People interpret that as it should be fun all the time. And I hate that question. People are like, well, are you still having fun? And I'm like, this is not fun. Going through a tech downturn, laying off people, restructuring the company, trying to land new bats. No, this is not fun. Do I get fulfillment out of it? Of course. And that's why I still do it. And I get energy out of a subset of those things. But I would describe almost all of my days and most of the things I work, I would not describe it as quote unquote fun. Fun to me is going to hang out with you in Mexico and drinking beers and stuff. Yeah. Well, not necessarily fun, but it should feel like play or something enjoyable. Brian, that's also a little your personality, I would argue. And I don't say as a hater, I've been here for a long time. <laughs> and I think you do enjoy it. I think a lot of us, including myself, people in general, make things harder for themselves on the way to the same outcome. Oh, I definitely make things harder for myself. But you've done the same thing. Dude, I still do the same thing. I was like complaining, just even a recent example is like, I'm trying to rent this condo I have and spent four months yelling at my realtor and then it finally rented. And I was like, oh, it all worked out. Great. <laughs> but I'm like annoyed and irritated. I'm a little stressed about it. I'm like, why am I stressing over 500 bucks a month? Yeah. Or a few hundred bucks a month in profit, whatever it is, just not worth the hassle. Yeah. How did the launch on Artifacts go? And what are some of the lessons about how to launch successfully? It went pretty well. And the message that we're actually really focused on internally is, wasn't about the launch. It's about what happens in this next month. It's like the steady drumbeat of what happens. I think people get too focused on the launch. But a couple of things that I think we did. One is we focused the firepower. So I think people can spread whatever firepower they have across different channels, different social channels, product hunt, like all that kind of stuff. We decided to really focus the firepower and we decided to focus it on LinkedIn as we're a professional product, professional audience, like all that kind of stuff. And that worked well. And by focusing, I mean like all of our customers, the email distribution list, all of those things, we were like, hey, go amplify this thing on LinkedIn. And I think you have to do that if you want to rise to the top. It's the same thing if you're going to launch on Product Hunt, you have to focus the firepower there. So I think that's number one. Number two was I called in a lot of favors, which you can't do very often. But I basically not only called in the regular folks like our investors and stuff to help amplify, but I literally downloaded contacts from my 20 years on Gmail. And I went through my contacts and essentially pulled out tons of... I call them friends of Reforge. And I sent to them and helped them amplify. And I think people are afraid to do this. But this was like a big launch for us. And I don't make these asks frequently of folks. And I think if you position it that way, of this is a big moment for us. I don't may have these asks usually, but if you could just do these two quick things to help me out, I think that helps give the launch a spark as part of it. And then 
those are like the two biggest things. We fucked up in some areas too. We had some bugs that probably into the signup flow and stuff that probably brought down like our signup numbers and stuff. But that's also why it's not really about the launch. It's about if we can create a steady drumbeat of users on it over time. Because if we do that, we'll look back at the launch and be like, that's like a 0.001% of our user base. I was curious, if we chat in a year, what's your dream? What's your vision? I think it's cool to put these out here and then we check back and then at least, and it's also good because you have somewhere to go towards. Uh, what's my dream a year from now? Yeah, that we can listen back to this and we'll be like, yeah, shit, it happened. No, it didn't happen. What happened? It's going to sound so sad. <laughs> <laughs> my dream is to have a little bit of personal life back. This past year, we had our second kid, been navigating all the changes in the tech market. And I feel like I've just lost every single piece of my personal life that was remaining <laughs> because of those two things. And I think it's like back on track, actually. We just hired a COO, which I'm really excited about, which is going to be hugely helpful. Kids are getting to a little bit better of a point. I'm carving out more time for it, all those pieces. But of course, I want Reforge to keep going well and all that stuff. But the pendulum swung in my life too far in one direction, and I'm trying to nudge it back in the other. So in a year, you'd want to have more balance with the family and work. Yeah, I hate the word balance because work and life is just tied up for me. It's just you need those personal things to recharge, right? And for me specifically, I need to go somewhere <laughs> like Mexico, get out of my environment. Or I got to go visit friends who aren't in tech, which kind of creates this interesting constraint of like, I can't even talk about tech because they don't want to talk about it. And it gets me to engage in all of these other things. It's things like that that took a hit this past year, but hoping to get back. Good on you to recognize it. Everyone check out reforge.com if you're looking to learn and grow as a technology leader, as well as Reforge. Check out Artifacts. It's like GitHub for tech business knowledge. Really interesting. Brian's board notes, I've put some stuff up on Artifacts that'll be out there. I think it's very interesting. I can't believe no one's done it, and I'd like to see it work. Thanks, Ben. That is a wrap. I hope you love this episode as much as we did making it for you. Two things. One, give Brian some love on Twitter. It's at B Balfour, B B A L F O U R. And check out artifacts on Reforge. That's reforge.com. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's bake a cake together. What's your favorite cake flavor, Morgan? Oh, strawberry. I like that. Before you go, tweet at me or Instagram at Noah Kagan and let me know what you think of this episode. I love hearing from you. Also, go check out my newsletter. If you're not on the newsletter, okdork.com. I have an exclusive email each and every week with Super juicy stuff to help you on your business journey. That's okdork.com. If you're on your phone, just go, just go sign up, man. Finally, a couple shout-outs to the amazing team that helped make all this happen. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com for editing these episodes. Thank you to Jeremy, Cam, Sasa, Nikki, Jen, Tommy, and Sylvie from the Dork team for all the magic y'all do. And finally, shout-out to everyone on the Plus team at AppSumo. That's Mitchell, Katie, Olo, with support by Frank and Alona. They moved the sauce, which is our Plus members community, from Tribe over to Circle, which has been flawless. Big shout out to Circle.so. I'm also an investor in them. And they've had a lot of big upgrades to the Plus program. So if you're an AppSumo customer, or if you're not an AppSumo customer, I think Plus, I think $99 a year, it's a great deal. Check it out at AppSumo.com slash Plus. Have a growth-filled day. Ooh, what's your favorite movie from the 90s? Damn, mine's Commando, or anything with John Cusack. <laughs>